Hello, my name is Robert J. Rosenthal. I'm the managing editor at the San Francisco Chronicle, and you are listening to a podcast from the San Francisco Chronicle. Hi, I'm Tim Goodman, and welcome to another installment of the TV Talk Machine. Today's guest is Conan O'Brien, one of our interviews, ongoing interviews with uh, people in the business. Conan O'Brien is the clown prince of late-night television and the man who beat long odds on survival after replacing David Letterman as a virtual nobody. Uh, O'Brien then went on to spend 14 years in a late-night chair, host two acclaimed Emmys, and then sign a contract to take over The Tonight Show in 2009. He arrives in San Francisco on April 30th for a week of shows. O'Brien's road trips to Los Angeles, Chicago, and Finland have been some of his best, as the writer-comedian feeds off the energy of the audience. But his brand of absurdist comedy plays well no matter where, and O'Brien's tape segments, and he'll do a bunch of them set in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and the wine country, are consistently hilarious. Just before his much-anticipated visit to San Francisco, O'Brien joined me in this podcast. He talks about our great city, a few things he has planned, why doing a roadshow invigorates the comedy, and later gets into what he'll do different when he takes over The Tonight Show in 2009, and how disappointed he was that NBC killed Andy Barker P.I., the sitcom he developed with former sidekick Andy Richter. But first, O'Brien reveals he spent a special day in the city by the bay. Hey, you had a birthday. Yes, I did. Actually, I celebrated it in San Francisco. Did you? Yep. What were you doing? We were there a couple days ago just shooting remote pieces for our week there. Yes. Because we like to have uh, pieces where you really see me in and around, where you'll see me in and around San Francisco. Do you know what I mean? We don't want it to be. It's a late night with Conan O'Brien from the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco. (laughs) But other than that, it's a regular episode. Right, exactly. You got to do your, you got to do your pieces. We got to do our pieces. So we we went and shot a few things. And, Excellent. Uh, my birthday was on the 18th. What'd you do? So we went to a restaurant, which now I can't remember the name of. It was in a hotel. Mm-hmm. The fifth floor. Yeah, no, no. Not, There's not a ton of restaurants and like hotels. Day, you, you walk into like. Uh, it was deceptive because I felt like we were walking into a Radisson. The next thing I knew, we were in a beautiful. Uh, a little too fancy for my taste. I just wanted to go get pizza. Ah. But uh, some nervous producer said, it's Conan. It's his birthday. we got to do something big. <laughs> so the next thing I knew, we were getting like little tasting samples. It was a very nice restaurant, but I was so tired that I fell asleep, I think, halfway through the meal. Oh. Well, it's a good town. It's a good food town for it's that kind of thing. It's a great food town. The last night we were there, we went to Pizza Orgasmica. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Uh-huh. It was great. Just a pitcher of beer. Turned out the waitress had the same birthday I did. Really? So we're getting married now. Beautiful. And that, you can get two wives in San Francisco. It's true. Gavin yeah, Newsom said that is okay. Mm-hmm. Shoot it up for HBO. It's going to be good. My birthday's April 22nd, just yesterday. Well, guess what? My sister, mm-hmm. who lives in San Rafael, oh, yeah. just had her second baby yesterday on your birthday. Wow. So Another it's all tourist. coming together. In a way, you're my sister's baby. <laughs> I've always felt that way. I've always um, felt that way. Yeah. Her name's Grace. So you and Grace Garvey share a birthday. Nice, nice. She's not married to Steve Garvey, right? They, she is, yeah. Okay. She is yeah, married to Steve Garvey. She's a big baseball fan. Exactly. Well, that's Grace. 30 yeah, that's, years well, that's junior, Grace. but, you know. Yes. Uh, um, so a lot of tourists in that family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's good. No, April's I, a big you know, one. I, now there are. We're still getting I'm in Aries. Is that right? Yeah. What are you? I'm right at the cutoff. You're on the cusp, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm a tourist. I'm, I'm, I'm the bull. I'm a tourist ascending. <laughs> You're a bull with a descending testicle. I'm sorry. That didn't happen. Let's forget this has ever been recorded. Exactly. Well, you know, April is an interesting month. It's a big month. Not a cruel month for you because you were originally signed, I guess, I think it was April 25th, 1993. 
Yeah. Uh, it was a crazy time. I remembered it w- I was writing on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I went to the audition. I auditioned. I was very loose at the audition because I thought I have no chance of getting this. Right. So you're never you're never going to have a better audition than when you shouldn't be there. Right. In the first place. And uh, <clears throat> and then there was this period of a few days of waiting around to hear from the network, um, you know, what was what, what was going to happen. And I remembered I had a birthday party uh, at my apartment in Los Angeles, and my friends all came over. And I remember sitting in the stairwell with all my friends thinking, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think at the time the rumor was that I might get a shot at the 130 slot because I had had a very good audition. Mm-hmm. But I think I had heard that Gary Shandling was going to host the 1230. I remember hearing that at the time. So I I remember thinking that's what was going to happen. Right. And then it was just a few days later that I was at The Simpsons and I got a phone call that <laughs> said, uh, you know, you're it. Tag, you're it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a life-changing phone call for you. Uh, yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> it really did feel like uh, a giant steel door came down and landed partially on my toe. But, um, yeah, I remember it's like uh, B.C. and A.D. kind of feels like this is huge cataclysmic event and there was my life before that and then uh, after that. Um and I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been a crazy ride. I mean, it's a funny thing because uh, you know there's so much has been written and done uh, about those early days and how uh, how difficult they were. Mm-hmm. And, and you even yourself once joked at the TV press tour that you that you had sort of been on a 24 hour uh, renewal policy yeah. with NBC. Yeah. yeah, they had an egg timer hanging on a rope <laughs> in Burbank. Right, right. And then you've come a long way because not only did the show take off uh, when they let it be, it just sort of took off and you were able to sort of put your stamp on it and you got more comfortable and things took off and you've obviously found a a loyal and dedicated audience. And your humor, uh, which is unlike a lot of things on television, uh, found a crowd and and you took off. Now look at you now. I mean, here we are. In uh, 2009, you were slated to take over for uh, Jay Leno. Mm -hmm. Uh, You did the Emmys twice. 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 I yeah. love the first and the second one, and I'm not trying to suck up. I love them both. No, no, I really, I actually liked the second one better. Every, when I did the first one, everyone, when I signed up to do the second one, people said you shouldn't do it because your first one was really good. But mm-hmm. I actually got to work with Bob Newhart on the second one and right. make that film at the top where I got to run through all the different shows, which was one of my favorite things I've ever done. You know, I got to work with Steve Carell, and and um, I got to work with. Uh, you know, Kiefer Sutherland, and um, and my, my I think my favorite moment was running onto the set of House and having him diagnose me. <laughs> right, as, that was uh, great. Being a a girl, <laughs> <laughs> you are a woman, aren't you? Um, and so those are things that I just occasionally think, oh yeah, I got to work with Hugh Laurie, right, uh, on the set of House. That's I'll never forget that. That was great. And people uh, forget that Hugh Laurie is in in, in England. He's he, you know he's he's a comic actor. He's a comic genius. You know, I was talking to him about that. And I said to him, I cannot, I said, this is a compliment, but I cannot, I was sitting in the makeup chair getting ready to do it and when we had met, and I said, I can't reconcile you with your character on the Black Adder. I mm-hmm. said, and that's a compliment. I mean, so many actors make their their career is just pretty much doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Right. And here's this guy who, I mean, you can show me Black Adder footage and House on side-by-side screens, and I can't reconcile that it's the same actor. 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. I think he's uh, demented. He's de- he's a real chameleon. I mean, he's uh, he's he's great in his dramatic stuff and uh, and obviously on House and in other things. And even when he does something sort of light, the, sort of the milk toast dad on Stuart Little, completely different than you'd ever recognize him in any of his British humor. Right. But no, this is uh, this is not a podcast about Hugh Laurie, of course. That'll that'll oh, be. Oh, it should week. be. I think my point <laughs> is it should be a Hugh Laurie podcast because. It's it's better we focus on it, our energies on him. Exactly. Well, tell me tell me what you know about San Francisco. Well, your annual rainfall is 640 cubic inches. Uh, your gross national product is grain, primarily. <laughs> you export grain. Um, you're surrounded on all six sides by water, the Indian Ocean. Right. Uh, there are nine bridges uh, in San Francisco, all of which connect, which is why no one can ever get anywhere. And uh, the city was uh, founded, I believe, in the late 1950s mm-hmm. by Fred McMurray. <laughs> That's pretty much what my research has told me. Although so you my, were on Wikipedia. My assistant is not. Yeah. <laughs> That's, those are all recent revisions to the Wikipedia site on San Francisco, <laughs> which is why I got an F on my book report. Yeah, great food, amazing food. You know, one of the reasons that we're, you know, been seriously happy about coming to San Francisco for a while, and we've actually been talking about it for years, mm-hmm. is that in the comedy community, San Francisco is fabled as a great comedy audience town. Absolutely. That, and friends of mine like Dana Carvey have been saying for years, you should do the show in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I think he really means like do Late Night with Conan O'Brien from San Francisco, <laughs> right. which uh, uh, because uh, it's this sort of perfect storm of enthusiastic but uh, smart and uh, d- you know, somewhat discerning but generous, and you mix all that together, and you get an audience that should go for the masturbating bear. Absolutely, absolutely. It's perfect uh, so you on know, we're fronts. we're we're excited about that, and then, you know, whenever we get to go on the road, we don't get to do it that often. But when we do, uh, it's really fun for us. It's like we become kids again, mm-hmm. and you're taking a trip. You pack your little bag, you put your teddy bear in there, uh, you get to fly in an airplane. Stewardess is nice to you, uh, gives you a cookie. You know, it's we get that same sort of, hey, we're going on a trip right. feeling. And, the, you know, a big room like the Orpheum is exciting. Yes. You know, it's a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. So I can pretend I'm Al Jolson or something, <laughs> that the year is 1928. Is that the Monday show? And then I'm packing them in. Yeah, Monday I'm Al Jolson. <laughs> Tuesday I'm Judy Garland. Wednesday I'm Ed Wynn. Uh, Thursday I'm Conan. Right, right. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tune in that night. <laughs> and then Friday, I end as Jack Benny. Beautiful. That's a good run. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, that might that might actually even sell out. That's good. Yeah, kids won't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> we well, you know there was a great, uh, great comedic uh, stand-up comedic drain from San Francisco because everybody in the who was doing it in the eighties and then in the late eighties uh, ended up going down to L.A. to get their own shows. Right. But uh, yeah, it still has a fine tradition of not only appreciating stand-up comedy, but um, sort of um, allowing those stand-ups to um, to nurture their own brand. You know, you know, it's not like a you know hack-filled uh, pander mackerel scene up here. It's uh, it's pretty good comedy. Well, the other thing is that I think there are certain cities that allow you to develop maybe a somewhat strange idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, the soil doesn't kill it right away if it's not you know, if it doesn't have like six-inch bark. Right. I'm really going to go even further with this analogy. Mm-hmm. Go I with think it, I yeah. have the spiny thorns, and uh, I self-pollinate in my room quite often. All right, we're going to stop that. <laughs> we're going to back this thing up. This is the, a big uh, city for self-pollination. Yeah. The uh, no, it's 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 there's a tradition in 
that I've always heard about in, in San Francisco, and I think there are certain towns like this that allow you to, you know, get your freak on a little bit comedically. Right. And then once you develop it, uh, you can bring it someplace else and it endures. But, you know, I think, you know, people like Dana Carvey or Robin Williams were able to sort of uh, experiment there a little bit before they, uh, and, and, and they're allowed to. So right. I'm hoping our show, which has its weird edges, uh, will be a nice fit with San Francisco. Well, you've got, uh, um, just to let people know, unless this, of course, changes, you've got uh, Dana Carvey kicking things off on Monday. Yeah, I don't, I don't have Monkeys. the days in front of me and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, who's on which day. I can give them to you. Um, yeah, if you could yeah. tell me, and who's hosting this thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's Monday is Dana and the Arctic Monkeys. Mm-hmm. George Lucas is on Tuesday George with Will Lucas Arnett. George Lucas is on Tuesday with Will Arnett. Uh, Wednesday is Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what... Thursday. I know Snoop Dogg, Tom Waits are doing it, but I don't know specifically what day. They, they say Snoop Dogg and uh, Tom Waits, the laconic set, will be uh, Friday. Right, that's the laid back. Yeah, that's going to be so laid back. So we might have to interject some. That's going to be great. That, that Friday is really, you can't miss. That's a hell of a send-off. For, and, and then Thursday you have sort of nobody scheduled, but I'm sure uh, you're a big guy now. You can schedule people. People will come. We're just weeding through the line of applicants mm-hmm. right now. I just told Tom Hanks, sorry, buddy. It's not happening. <laughs> right. And he's furious, so we'll see. Well, he's a local boy. He's going to want to get in. They all want in. I bet they do. Do you get what, what, what kind of, do you get like the local, con- do you get somebody like Gavin Newsom who says, hey, you know, I've had a little bit of woes. I'd like to get on your show and get a couple of yucks. Um, did he actually say I want to get a couple of yucks? He might have. Well, I don't know. Because that would end it right there. <laughs> yucks are bad. I will not tolerate yucks. Guffaws. <laughs> a guffaw <laughs> or a chuckle. Right. But I'm um, anti-yuck. Yucks are um, bad. Yeah, I think I mean I think they're still playing around with that. They're just trying to get the mix of what's going to be the best. You know, those are sort of the names we've announced, and then there are all these people in the wings that we're sort of trying to figure out what's going to be the best blend overall right. during the week. And how how much of a say? I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want, but how much of a say are are you actively involved in like saying, "Hey, I'd like like to see so and so on the show that night in this city." I'd be lying to you if I said I can just say, um, you know, reunite the surviving Beatles <laughs> Thursday night. <laughs> Have it done. I'm going to. I'm going to the 21 Club now, and I'm not to be disturbed. Right. Uh, it's, so it's not quite like that. I mean, obviously, you're working around people's schedules and things like that. But, yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, sometimes I'll have, I'll have an idea, you know, or I'll, I'll have, you know, have a wish list, and then, you'll, you know, some people are able to do it, and then some people are shooting a movie or they despise you. One of those reasons. <laughs> right, so right. They're not, you know. Everyone in show business is obsessed with themselves, and mm-hmm. they're all busy doing their own thing. And because I'm obsessed with myself, I tend to think sometimes, wow, I'm going to San Francisco. This is a big deal for me. I bet everybody's excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tom Hanks may be excited, but he might be in Venice, for example, shooting a movie. Right. And, and it shocks me when he's, wow, Conan's, that he's not determined to like leave his uh, film set right but i think it's going to be uh, we've been lucky so far that a lot of the people we were thinking about have been able to do it so that's exciting and then we'll see see what else happens yeah it's a good lineup i, I wanted to go back there you talked about uh sort of this sort of invigorating thing when you get on the plane and come out what is it about going on the road trip because your shows from when you are on the road are you know different in, in their in their funniness i don't really know how to, how to you get know what to it that is? It's, it's just you're feeding off i mean i don't know if you we did a week of shows in Chicago mm-hmm. last year, and there was just this energy. There was like 5,000 people a night packed into this space, and everybody in the city was trying to get to the shows. And people were lined up around you know, city blocks trying to get in, 
And when you have that kind of energy and you put it in a confined space, everything elevates. Right. Everything, it's just, it's physics, it's chemistry. There's just, there's raw potential energy in the room. And if you have some good stuff, you can harness it. And that's not to say that we don't get energy in our studio in 6A, but there everybody knows that this is business as usual. And so they're excited, but it's 200 people in a room. Mm-hmm. And you have high highs, and but there's something about we're coming to San Francisco. We've never done this before. God knows we may never be back. This is it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And right. when we announced that we were coming, I think three days later I asked, our ticket coordinator, how's it going? And and she said that uh, Lisa Blair, and she said that we had something like eighty-five thousand ticket requests or something. Yeah, that's thought, crazy. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, you know, and they're um, all coming. Yes, they're all coming, which mm-hmm. the fire marshal is not happy about. I told people they could sit on top of each other. Right. But uh, and when I was there last week, a couple of days ago, shooting pieces in and around the city, every time I went and bought a coffee, uh, especially if the person was on the younger side, mm-hmm. anywhere I went where I wanted to buy a coffee or, you know, um, grab a muffin or some hair product, uh, the, the, if there was a younger person there, they said, I've been trying to get, they're very aware. Right. They say, I'm trying to get tickets. My friends and I went online. One of my friends got a ticket, but none of the, you know, it's sort of like Willy Wonka and the, uh, the golden it, it, ticket. It is that. Believe me, I've been hearing from people. So it's, so that's exciting because you think, this is enthusiasm and energy is something that I don't care what you're doing, in, in, especially in comedy, though, you can, that can elevate everybody's game. We get excited, and we want everyone to see really good shows. Right. And what is We it? don't want to just phone it in. We want them to be you know, shows that people remember and are excited about and, and uh, talk about later. And because that's, at the end of the day, that's what this is all really about. You know, I've for a long time believed that I'll be happy uh, if through some twist of fate, someone runs off with the $32,000 I've saved over the years. Um, I'll still be happy if young people are coming up to me when I'm in my 60s and saying, I saw you play the Orpheum in San Francisco back in, you know, 07. And you were the bee's knees, you know. Uh, And they got some yucks out of it. Yeah, you really got, we got some, we got some big yucks out of it, I tell you, fella. Uh, Let's go get a moxie and talk about it. Um, So I, it's an event for us, too. You know, right. we should be... I've been doing this for 14 years, and you'd think that I'd be jaded at this point, but it's exciting to me. Yeah, so, I was just going to say, does that, is that something... I mean, you talked about the audience a little bit, but are you... Does it, does it sort of jolt you out of it, your comfort zone when you come out and do this? Yeah, in a good way, yeah, in a good way, you're, you know, you don't quite know what to expect, and you're, it's a very different kind of show than, you know, there's so much about... Um, the late night program that we shoot at 12:35 here in New York City that's about quieter moments and awkward pauses do you know what i mean right. and this is a, quite different this is like uh being shot out of a cannon over snake river you know it's you know uh it this is more of a it's big moves and there's almost a big colorful gymnastic quality to the whole thing it's, it's a spectacle but at the end of the week i mean are you kind of like gas you think oh wow i'm drained let's get back no, to the I'll studio no exactly what happened last year as we got back from chicago uh-huh. and it was so invigorating and exciting <laughs> i walked out and i did my show on a monday here in the studio and you know after i did the show I just thought I had bombed. I just I remember saying to the, the producer and the head writer, what happened out there? We bombed. We had nothing. Right. They said, what are you talking about? You got laughs throughout. 
I had just all my settings had changed. Right. You know, all the I had to completely recalibrate my settings because they got they got thrown out of whack. I got used to the sound of 5,000 people <laughs> roaring their approval, and suddenly there are 200 people in the room. And so they could be laughing their asses off, and I would still stare at them coldly and say, What's wrong? <laughs> what do you want from me? This is all I've got. So uh, it was my own fault. So um, we're going to really encourage the San Francisco crowd to just sit on their hands. And yes, exactly. I, I'm, we'll, we'll tell them that. But no, yeah, without, just without wear berets and snap <laughs> their fingers when they approve of something. Right. We're going to lower the expectations. When you came out, though, not to give too much away, because obviously you're going to, it's all going to be taped yeah. in that part. Did you go to some cool places, and, and what did you see? And I, mean, I did. I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite things is I went up, we did a bunch of different remotes in and around the city, but one thing we did was we spent a day just going in and around San Francisco and visiting the different sites. And that was where we sort of, we have one special surprise in that segment, but that I don't want to give away. But other than that, it was mostly just a travelogue. It was right. going in, in and around the city. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was I went up Coit Tower yes. with my camera crew. And we get to the top of Coit Tower, and we had a pretty uh, unobtrusive cameraman. You know, he it didn't you couldn't really, and it was just me and a cameraman and my head writer. And we get up there in Coit Tower, and it's all these tourists who've just come up. And if you've been to the top, there's not a lot of room up there, so there, there were about twelve people, maybe less, maybe ten people, looking out the window of Coit Tower and just quietly talking to themselves and taking pictures and stuff. And so I just said, all right, people, let's begin tour of Koi Tower. And everyone turned around <laughs> attentively and just listened, and suddenly I was an authority figure, because who pretends to give a tour? <laughs> so I just started spewing all this incredible nonsense about Koi Tower and going on and on and on. Um, and it got more and more absurd. And I don't know anything about Koi Tower, <laughs> right. but it went on and on and on. But I was amazed at how many people, I think there were like people from Germany and people from, you know, uh, St. Louis, and they were sitting and kind of, some of them were like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, it's that guy, hold on. But but other people were just listening, like, oh, really? So <laughs> Koi Tower used to store ham gravy in the 1950s, you know. And that was really fun because I swear to God, someone... Um, and then my favorite moment is at the end, someone came up to me and said, by the way, I want you to know I'm from Finland. And I was living there when you came and visited, so I thought, what's it like for this guy? Who, right. The last time he was at the airport in Finland, there were thousands of people turning out to see Conan O'Brien, and then he finally comes to San Francisco to get away from it all. And he's in Coit Tower, and suddenly hears, all right, the tour's about to begin, and Conan O'Brien's there babbling. It's like, this man is ruining my life. That's, you know what? But of course, he could be the only guy who got tickets in Finland and in San Francisco. Yeah. He might come to the show. Yeah. And he does. A, I think I have to marry him. That's a double whammy. Now, you, uh, you were executive producer and co-creator of Andy Barker, P.I., yeah. and uh, you might, might have seen that I was a huge fan of that yes, show. Yes, which I very much appreciate. And yeah. uh, I'm annoyed. Yeah, well, it annoyed us mainly because I pretty much called NBC on this, and they admitted that, you know, yeah, we didn't really promote it. And I guess they had an internal division about what to do about the show, mm -hmm. and so their compromise was not to do anything. Right. So I said to them later on, you know, you sort of half promoted it the first week, and then you pulled all promotion immediately when it did the same number that any show does in that time slot. Right. You know, it it didn't underperform or, you know, other shows that would be in that exact, it kind of held on to its lead-in, and it just was, you know, it's hard to grow anything at NBC right now, 
and then you removed all promotion completely. And they said, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> like, all right, well, what have we learned here? We've learned that, you know, if you put a show on and don't really tell that many people about it and let it sit there, you can kill it. Right. And they're like, you know, which I think we knew. I mean, I don't like to, it's not, God knows, I've, I'm the poster child for good fortune, you know, in, uh, in mm-hmm. television. I've had pretty much all my dreams come true getting to do this show and so I don't like to sit around and bitch about these things but I thought uh, Andy Richter and John Groff I, I think that cast and those writers did a brilliant job and unfortunately had situation been a little different at NBC things could have been different for that show right you know, I think if NBC was because they NBC was shocked by the the critical response to the show they uh, I just think they didn't know what to do with it Right. It's sort of been my long-running theory as a TV critic that, that nobody really knows. I mean, they just they don't really know what they're doing, and so I think that they... And, and I don't mean that as, as to be flippant. I really think that people just don't know what's going to work or not. And, and No, they don't. And, you know, the truth is, I don't know. All you can do is... It's, the, it's what I tell uh, any young person who works at our show, whether it's uh, an intern or page, anybody who's working at our show who's just getting started in the business... And whenever it's time for them to leave and they want a picture or they want to talk to me for five minutes, I always tell them the same thing, which is you're going to hear a lot of advice, and all I can tell you is nobody really knows anything. Mm -hmm. And we still don't know anything. I said, if you watch us at rehearsal every day, you'll see me, Mike Sweeney, Jeff Ross, the producer, and a couple of the writers debating, wrestling, trying to figure out what's the best mixture for that night. But we don't really know. Do you know what I mean? Right. I don't know. I couldn't stand up and tell people, Andy Barker, if you really promote it, will become the biggest show of all time. I just, all I did know was, oh, I really like this. I would watch this. I right. would enjoy this show. And I think there's a lot of depth here. And I think there's a show here. I think this show could grow because that's, you know, television is organic. Mm-hmm. Good television's organic. You know, the first year of The Simpsons isn't really very much... Uh, like the second year or the third year. Right. The same thing for any of the shows I really like. They grow and they develop and they find their... Look at an early Seinfeld and look at a Seinfeld from three seasons in and they're very different. The timing's different and, you know, the characters are a little different. And I think that could have happened with this show, but I don't... I think this time around we won't find out. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's one of... To me, it was one of the most... Uh, I mean, as we wind down into the May, it's one of the most frustrating things of the whole season because it yeah. was a... I think it was funny on a lot of different levels, and it was a show that, you know, given some promotion, which they didn't give it at all, you know, I mean... No, I couldn't find it. Unbelievable. I, mean, I work just... at the network, and I couldn't. I never quite knew, like, I would forget that it was on, because I'd be watching for the hour beforehand, and I wouldn't see any, even like an hour and a half before the show, or in the hour before the show, you wouldn't see anything, and then suddenly I saw a snipe run across the screen, like, Andy Barker in 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know showers in northern New Jersey, you know. <laughs> Storm warnings, in effect. You know, it was like one of those kind of things. Right. And, uh, but I, I sort of believe good work is never wasted. And uh, maybe that's a rationalization, but I think that's what I tell Andy and Groff. You know, I think Andy's really so good. And I think people, you know, it, it doesn't hurt Andy Richter to be really good in something, even if it's just for six episodes. Exactly. And then Controls the Universe was another, I mean, that's like two for him that were great and it kind right. of just didn't go. Yeah. And uh, that's frustrating. Or was there any uh, attempt on your hand, uh, end to go to NBC and say, you know what? If you don't uh, start promoting this show, I'm not going to do The Tonight Show in 2009. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> but 
then my medication wore off. Right. And I came to my senses. Yeah. Now that uh, that contract signed. Yeah, that contract is signed, and it's uh, it, it to me, it's a great, it's a great, great thing. And you've had, certainly you've got uh, two high-profile gigs on the Emmys, and you certainly bring your own kind of uh, humor, which I think will be interesting going into 2009. Are you excited about that? Yeah, or? I am. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. No worries, or well, I mean, I'm constantly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a neurotic mess deep down inside, but that's mm-hmm. always been the case. Right, that was me in like fourth grade. So my level of concern and worry never changes. <laughs> One of the things that I made peace with was, but it's by the time that switch happens, I'll have been doing the late night show for 16 years, mm-hmm. and it'll be about 3,000 hours of shows. And I've really tried hard on every show to do a good one. Right. And I think that it's going to feel like the natural time to move on. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So if I've been doing the late night show for just a few years and had to make a transition like this, I could see feeling this is weird, this is too soon. This is, you know what I mean? Right. But I'll never wake up in the middle of the night and thinking I should have done that late night show for a 17th year. That <laughs> right. really would have been the corker. <laughs> that that would have been the capper to the whole thing. And... um and the Tonight Show, it's just, I'm, I'm in awe of that franchise. Yeah, that, and, that really uh, is the seat. I grew up watching that show, mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm a TV historian, and so I have an incredible amount of um, respect for that franchise. And talk about getting jazzed at a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm already getting all kinds of ideas, and I have all kinds of energy for tackling that. You right. Know what I mean, and so... I think only good would come from that, you know? It's really the chair to have. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the chair to be in. That's the desk to be behind in all of television. I think so. Mm-hmm. It's that or Gene Shallot. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, exa- it's one of those two. I think it's the chair to have, and Gene Shallot is the mustache to have. <laughs> if, I could, if I could get the Tonight Show chair and Gene Shallot's mustache, I think I'd be unstoppable. Well, you've got your first episode right there. There you go, yeah. That's a smash hit. Tonight's guest, yeah. Gene Shallot's mustache. <laughs> are, are you thinking, I know this is, again, it's kind of unfair because you're thinking ahead. This is right. like a two-year ahead. And you're like, ah, well, I don't, what the hell, what are you talking about? But uh, do, you, do you sense that you'd have to change anything to, to move into that time slot and di- maybe yeah. different audience? You know, the only thing I, I think is that you're, whenever you go into a different time slot or a different situation, no matter what it is, you make adjustments, and it's common sense. You're not even aware you're making them, you know? Right. For example... If I do the Emmys in primetime, any fan of mine or anybody who knows me would watch those shows and go, yeah, that's Conan being Conan, mm-hmm. whether it's me singing Aqualung or me coming to the ceiling of the show The Office and ending up in the Dateline Predator house right. or, you know, um, you know, me, the bit I did with Bob Newhart where I threatened to uh, cut off his air supply if the show goes long. Those are all things that sort of fit with my persona. Those are ideas that I, I think would easily a fit on our late night show but you just make subtle you make subtle shifts you mm-hmm. know what i mean i i wouldn't have done something like the masturbating bear on on the emmys it just wouldn't feel right right you know so i'm sure at 11:30 you make you'll just know it when you see it do you know what i mean someone will bring you an idea or tell you something and you'll think that doesn't feel right for this house right you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but i couldn't sit down and tell you I don't like rules in comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't like barriers. I don't like absolutes. I, w- I would never sit down and say, here are the things you will never see. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's really about 
me being funny the way I'm funny to the best of my ability. And over the years, that's worked for me. And so I'll just keep doing that. And I think I'll have to just trust my instincts that I'll know, you know, what works in, in, you know, in that venue, what feels right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to, and, and what doesn't, but I think uh, to a, someone who's been watching, you know, my show for a number of years, they will just see me trying to be funny every night. Right. And uh, if that's worked for them before, I would, I would think it would still work. Uh, speaking as a TV critic, I think it's going to be a great, uh, it's going to be a great thing. I have no doubt that you're going to uh, do well in that, in that chair. And uh, speaking of somebody from the lovely and uh, full of love city of San Francisco, we welcome you on the 30th and for that week. And uh, Well, do you think you'll be able to come by? You should stop by. I'm going to come at least two times. Great. Yes. So Yeah, we um, saw, we saw someone showed me something. Someone saw on Craigslist, someone said, on Craigslist, they said something like, uh, you know, they posted a notice that said, I have been able to obtain three tickets to Late Night with Conan O'Brien in San Francisco. I'm looking for a different woman every night. You, know, <laughs> you must be 25 to 32 in excellent physical shape. <laughs> so I'm going to be on the lookout for this player, yeah, like I, a pimp hat and a... Yeah silk ascot i posted that uh, yeah that's you a different <laughs> lady every night so uh we'll make some noise when we come we, out we definitely will and uh i can't i can't wait to see it night as you well know based on the fact that the tickets were pretty much all gone that the city of san francisco is going to turn out in in force and can't that's wait to great. see it and they're good crowds right i've always heard they're nice this is a great crowd and good. we're not uh, whistlers we're laughers and uh i think that you know oh <laughs> I've never actually heard laughter, but it'll be interesting to hear it. Yeah, it's a smart right. crowd. I think it should be a smart crowd. Great. All right, Conan, thanks All for right, taking good some time. To you. All, All right. right.